I want to thank you for coming to worship the Lord even amidst all the uncertainty. Later, after service, we'll have a very important announcement. So I, I hope that all of you will stay back to, to be clear. Okay, while we wait for that, uh, I also want to invite you to set aside all distractions, okay? So all the worries, all the uncertainties, all the messiness of what's going on in your brain, set it aside. Allow God to speak to you personally in the middle of your situation. So whether your work is affected, whether your, your family life is affected, or no effect, whatever it is, set it all aside, allow God to speak to you. Okay, let us pray. Lord, we look to you as the giver of all truth and life. So we ask, Lord, that whatever you have for us today, may we receive it with open hearts, that it may translate into our daily living. Transform us where we need transformation. Encourage us where we need encouraging. Help us where we need helping. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, hopefully it's working now. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think I pray harder just before sermon than throughout the week. Uh. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, no, my, my concern is not so much about whether the colourful slides will keep you awake or whatever, but because we have blanks to fill in, right? So it will be very distracting if you don't have... Okay, but we thank God for <laughs> fixing things in time. Okay, for today's passage, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45, uh, the immediate context of this passage is it's set between passages about knowledge resulting in behavior. Okay, so the passage uh, above Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45 is talking about the judging others, you know, how uh, if you have a speck in your eye, you shouldn't go and judge, uh, tell your brother about the, no, no, sorry, if you have a plank in your eye, you shouldn't go and tell your brother about the speck that they have in their eye, right? So it's about uh, the hypocrisy of the religious teachers. They have that knowledge, uh, but it's not resulting in behavior, okay? They weren't practicing what they knew. And then we have our passage today, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45, which is about the trees. Uh, you can tell the tree from the fruit, right? And then immediately after that, there is a passage about the... This passage is the parable of the foolish and wise builders. You know that story? Uh, the wise, the foolish man built his house upon sand, right? The wise man built his house upon... Ah, very clever... And then, what happened? Rains came. Poof. And then, which house was left standing? The one with sand, right? Are you awake? <laughs> rock, yes. The rock, the, the rock-built house was the one that remained standing. And so the parable is about those who hear the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and apply them and do them. They are the ones who build their house upon the rock. Those who hear only and then never walk the talk, 
just listen and don't do anything about it. Uh, they are the ones who build their house on sand. Okay, so both these passages is about application of knowledge, okay? And so this is the context for our passage today. And so the big idea for today follows that thought that we cannot truly behave as who we truly are not. Okay, let me repeat that. We cannot truly behave as who we truly are not. If this is very confusing for you, you just turn it around. Uh, you can rephrase it as, we can only truly behave as who we truly are. <laughs> okay? Maybe that's easier. Lah. We can only truly behave as who we truly are. The first thing we want to examine is this whole thing about Jesus' illustration that the fruit describes the tree. Okay? The fruit describes the tree. The point of Jesus' illustration is very simple. If you look at the fruit, you know what sort of tree it is. Okay? Verse 44, you can recognize the tree by looking at the fruit. Now, today, in, in our modern time, we can have 40 different fruits. Uh, sorry, this, this is the principle of the harvest. Huh? This is, you look at the tree, you can see, uh, you look at the fruit, you can see the tree. This is the principle of the harvest. Uh, today we have a case where you can have 40 different fruits grown on the same tree using modern grafting techniques. Okay, so this is something that somebody did. They were very tahan. Uh, they went and grafted 40 different branches onto one tree. Okay, and if you look, they didn't go and spray paint or, or put fake flowers. Uh, those are all different, different flowers or fruits on the same tree, okay, 40 different kinds. Uh, this is considered art. It's not very practical. <laughs> it's not practical to have a tree that has 40 different fruits. Now, in Jesus' time, no such thing. Lah. In Jesus' time, they didn't have such uh, techniques. For Jesus' audience, they work in the fields. There are, many of them are uh, farmers, laborers, uh, harvesters. You have only one tree, and that tree will produce one kind of fruit. Okay, that, that is the absolute truth during Jesus' time. Okay? Another alternative illustration is that if you have a, money, a, a mummy and a daddy who love each other very much, nine months later, what do you get? Human baby, right? You don't get a puppy. You don't get a kitten. You don't get fish roll. Uh, you get human baby. We produce according to our kind. Okay, so what Jesus is talking about here is consistency. Okay, spiritual consistency. The consistency between our actions and our heart. Our actions include words, lah, what we say. Uh, but the consistency between what we do and who we are, our heart. Because your actions describe who you are. And so this is the principle of the harvest at work. If you are bearing good spiritual fruit, you know, if you, are, you have the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life, you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. People look at you, they see, wow, such a kind person, uh, always at peace, no matter what happens. Uh, then that reveals a healthy spiritual tree. But if you are bearing bad spiritual fruit, so if you are prone to anger, bitterness, jealousy, divisions, and so on, uh, 
people look at you and they, they notice that always complaining, <laughs> uh, always arguing, always fighting, uh, never at peace, always restless. So that reveals an unhealthy spiritual tree. And that's why James chapter 2, verse 17 tells us that faith unaccompanied by action is dead. If you have faith, but that your, your actions don't reveal that faith, your faith is actually dead. Because as much as our works don't save us, and our works don't wash away our sins, so we cannot uh, make ourselves blameless in God's sight just by what we do, our actions still matter. They are an indicator, our behavior is an indicator of who we are, really are inside. Now, verse 45 talks a lot about the importance of the heart. The heart today means uh, different things, okay? We, we may think of it medically as a vital organ, okay? So we talk about heart attack, heart failure, heart disease, uh, or we may think of it romantically, uh, and we, we say, uh, we were shot to the heart, uh, or the, we have the total eclipse of the heart, or my heart will go on, or you, you know, all about the heart, 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 all to do with love and romance. Now, during Jesus' time, they didn't think about physical heart, they didn't think about romantic heart. When they thought about the heart, they thought about the center of human life, okay, that included the, the will, the intellect, the mind, and the emotions, okay? That the heart made up all those components. Okay, so during Jesus' time, uh, when they think of the heart, they're not just thinking of an emotional feel, love, love thing, or uh, emotional or heartbroken thing. They're thinking of their thought life, what they're thinking, their intellect. They're thinking about their will, what they're choosing. Okay, so it was it was considered to be like the, the command center, okay, that controlled everything else in the body, okay? So the heart, it, there, there was a division between brain and heart, basically, okay? The heart included the brain during that time. And so it was the internal command center that controls the external and what we do. And so this is why we cannot modify who we are by only modifying our behavior and neglecting our heart. We cannot modify who we are inside by only changing what we do on the outside. Jesus calls that washing the outside of the cup. You know the Pharisees, he rebuked the Pharisees. Uh, you, you wash the outside of the cup so clean, inside still so dirty, what's the point? You're still drinking from that cup, right? He said, you wash the inside of the cup, then the outside also becomes clean, lah, right? And so that's the same principle here. Now, Dallas Willard talks about this outward keeping of the law in his book, uh, The Divine Conspiracy. When he, you know, Jesus uh, has some teachings that say, some very drastic, uh, that if you, it is better to cut off your hand, it's better to gouge out your eye, uh, in order to prevent sin, right? Jesus has some very radical things like that. And so Dallas Willard writes about this. I'm going to just go quote him. He says, Now truly, if you blind yourself, you cannot look at a woman to last after her because you cannot look on her at all. 
And if you sufficiently dismember yourself, you sufficiently chop off your limbs, you will not be able to do any wrong action. This is the logic by which Jesus reduces the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees to the absurd. Okay, so Jesus is using a, a technique to, to make their, their, te their teaching and their logic very ridiculous. Okay? In their view, in the view of the scribes and the Pharisees, the law could be satisfied and thus goodness attained if you avoided sinning. And so you are right if you have done nothing wrong. You could avoid sinning if you simply eliminated the bodily parts that made sinful actions possible. Then you would roll into heaven a mutilated stump. Means <laughs> if you chop off everything that allows you to sin outwardly, uh, you go to heaven as no arms, no legs, <laughs> no eyes, uh, because then that's the only way to be kept blameless. And so... Uh, the point that Dallas Willard is making and the point that Jesus is also making is how ridiculously impossible it is to be righteous purely by directing uh, our externals, by controlling our external behaviour without any inward change of the heart. That's the point. Okay? That if you only change the outside and you control the outside and you eliminate uh, possibilities for sinning from the outside and you don't address the inside, Nothing's going to happen, okay? So what if the principle of the harvest, so the principle of the harvest is you see the, fru you see the fruit, you can see the tree. You see the fruit, you know what kind of tree you have. What if the principle of the harvest reveals that our fruit doesn't appear to match our tree? What if we look at our lives and we see, A, our fruit, what our actions, what we are doing, does not seem to match who we are inside or who we think we are inside, who we claim to be. Just logically, thinking logically, two possible reasons. The first reason is that the fruit is not as it appears. Okay? If the fruit and the tree don't seem to match, one possible reason, the fruit is actually not what it appears. The fruit is fake. Okay? And so this can mean that our behaviour may not truly reflect who we are when our words or our actions are insincere or we put it on for show. Okay? It, it doesn't really have, uh, reflect who we are. So that's the possible reason. The, the fruit is actually fake. Second reason, the tree is not as it appears or the tree is not real. The tree is fake. And so this can mean that our when we see our behaviour, it shows us that we are not who we really think we are on the inside. When we have false or wrong beliefs and understanding about God or who we are in Him. And so we see our behaviour and we see, hey, the fruit, the tree don't seem to match up, something is wrong with the tree. So some of us may be facing addictions or frustrations with our reluctance or indifference towards holiness, that, hey, I, I don't seem to bother much about whether I please God or not, or I seem to be perfectly comfortable with living a sinful lifestyle like the rest of the world. Uh, some of us may be struggling with those things, with uh, why don't I seem to care about good Christian behaviour? 
Why don't I have this desire to meet with God every day? Why don't I want to involve God in major decision-making in my life or even minor decision-making? And in our frustrations and struggles, we continue to try to fix our behaviour without examining our beliefs or understandings. I'll, I'll get to this later. I'll break this down later. So, if either the tree or the fruit don't appear to match, it is because either the fruit is fake or the tree is fake. And so the conclusion in either case then is that fake fruits means fake tree. If you have either or, if you conclude that the fruits are fake, that means your tree is fake. Or if you conclude that your tree is fake, that means your fruit is fake. Because principle of the harvest, the fruit must match the tree. Please don't misunderstand. Uh, I'm, not, I, I, I'm just continuing the fruit tree illustration. Uh, I'm not calling you fake or whatever. Uh, okay? uh, but what I am saying is that there, if there is a disconnect between what we do and who we think we are, we need to pay attention. Okay? If our fruit don't seem to match our, our tree according to who we think we are, we need to pay attention. We need to sit up. We need to ask, hey, what is happening? Why? Okay? So if we don't want a fake tree with fake fruit, how do we cultivate a life of spiritual integrity? How do we cultivate real fruit, real tree? Sorry, uh, remember the context of this passage, huh? the gap between knowing and doing. We're talking about hypocrisy versus integrity. Okay, we're talking about fake versus real. So, if we don't want a fake tree with fake fruit, how do we cultivate a life of this spiritual integrity with real tree, real fruit? How? Here's where we need to look at the importance of faith. Because what we believe, friends, our faith shapes who we are. Our convictions, our values, our worldview, whatever you want to call it, what we believe, our faith shapes who we are. That is all heart territory. It's not our actions. Our beliefs and convictions, what we are truly convinced about, our worldviews, those are all heart territory. For example, just a very simple example, huh? if you struggle with being generous with your offering to God, every time offering comes, uh, you are like, for some reason, uh, my hand cramp uh, cannot open. <laughs> or for some reason, uh, even though my, my wallet is so full, uh, I can only see the one ringgit. Uh. Uh, if you struggle with being generous in your offering, that is not going to change, that's not going to change as long as you are convinced money, making the most money for yourself in life is the most important thing. As long as you have that conviction that making the most money possible for yourself is the most important thing in this life, your, your, your generosity to God is going to be very, very difficult. That's not going to change, no matter how much you try to force yourself. And so this is why the heart of the gospel message is not what we do, but what we believe. Salvation is not by works, what we do, 
but by what we believe, by faith. God is extremely interested in our heart. If you look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, if you look at how he breaks down uh, the, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, uh, you have heard it, uh, you don't do this. But I tell you the truth, even if you do this, it means that. So you have heard it said, uh, don't commit adultery. But I tell you the truth, even if you look lustfully at a woman, you have already committed adultery. So Jesus breaks down uh, the, the legal outward keeping of the law and he breaks it down into the heart. Okay, so God is in, extremely interested in our heart, our convictions, our motives, our desires. And our outward behavior will not distract God from his interest in our heart. This is the core premise of the, the Good and Beautiful God by James Brand Smith. How many of you have gone through this book? Good and Beautiful God? I think Pastor Wayne went through with, with some of our leaders. Uh, the, the premise of this book is that the most important thing to do in a Christian's life is to address your core narratives of who God is, what you believe about Him, what you think about Him. You need to address those things first before you address your behavior and your actions. And because you address what you believe about God and what you think about God, that directly... Sorry, I think my thing cutting in and out a bit. Huh? Uh, sound guy, tolong standby, extra batteries. <laughs> I think my battery may be fading out. Uh, okay, sorry. So, yeah, go and be forgot. So, if you address what you believe and what you think about God, that directly impacts your relationship with Him. That you're able to draw near to Him more, you're able to spend time with Him more because you believe A. Actually, God wants to meet with me. La. Actually, He still loves me even though I sin. La. Uh, actually, it, He's not an angry God that just wants to punish me la, and all those things. Okay? And so, when our relationship with God uh, transforms because we address what we believe about God, that impacts our behavior and our life. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, yep. Okay, uh, yeah, so if you address your thought life and what you believe about God, that impacts your relationship with God and then that transforms your behavior. And so this is actually the same strategy that the devil uses, by the way. Uh, when he tries to get to our heart by lying to us about who God is, he tries to lie to us about what God wants. He tries to lie to us about who God is like. And then as a result, that affects our relationship with Him. And as a result, affects our behavior. That is the devil's strategy as well. And so faith, what we believe, must be the focus. More so than what we do. 
Our faith must be the focus rather than what we do. Because what we do affects how we are perceived, but what we believe affects who we are. Let me repeat that. What we do affects how we are perceived by others, but what we believe affects who we are. If we focus on what we do and how we are perceived by others at the expense of what we believe, then we fall into the trap of hypocrisy. The Greek word for hypocrite uh, literally means to act in a play. Today, hypocrite is a dirty word. Lah. You, you call somebody a hypocrite, it means <laughs> horrible character, uh, probably like you, you're calling them like a dirty politician, that kind of thing. Lah. Uh, but the original word hypocrite in, in, in Greek just means an actor, okay? somebody who acts in a play and they wear masks. So last time, uh, they don't have cameras, they don't uh, go straight up to the, the face, uh, then you can see all the tears uh, and all the, the, the mucus running down the nose because so emotional. <laughs> last time, everybody sit far away, so cannot see very clearly. What they, so how did they express they wore masks? Okay, very obvious masks. The masks look very uh, evil. The masks look very happy. The masks look very sad. Uh, so people, the audience can see from further away. Okay, so a, a hypocrite is literally just somebody who acts and wears these different masks. And so when our fruit and our tree don't match up, when we don't say or we don't do what we mean, then we are literally acting and literally putting on a show either for God to see or for other people to see or even for ourselves to, to uh, assure ourselves, to, to deceive ourselves, to make ourselves think that actually uh, it's a, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing a different mask so means I must be like that. Okay? But here's the thing. If you have ever gone to IKEA and you see the... the you know, Batukawan, the Ikea there, you see the tree, uh, trees, you see the tables, uh, uh, they have a lot of dining set, la, they have a lot of kitchen table. La. You see, always got one bowl of fruit there, one, right? And then you go up to the fruit and then you take the fruit and you look at it. Uh, it's like, wow, very real. Uh, really look like real fruit. And so, sometimes it's not always easy to tell the fake fruit from the real fruit. But I assure you, the manufacturer can tell the difference. The factory that produces that, that artificial plastic fruit is able to tell a fake fruit from a real fruit. And so God is our manufacturer. Even if we manage to deceive others, even if we manage to even deceive ourselves, God always knows the true state of our heart. Now, most of us have had moments when our fruit and tree don't match. This is a, a hard truth to swallow, uh, but it's a reality. And I include myself, okay? Full disclosure, I include myself here. Most of us would have had a time in our Christian life when who we are and what we do don't seem to match, okay? In fact, the more you know, the greater the danger of hypocrisy because that means that you have more knowledge that you need to apply. And that's why the religious leaders of Jesus' day got blasted by him the most, because they knew the most. Our modern-day equivalent, 
the greatest danger of hypocrisy would be the pastors, uh, the church leaders, the teachers, right? Because we are supposed to know the most and so we have more to apply. But hypocrisy must be addressed at all costs. Even though we may have gone through different levels of it at some time or another, it must be addressed at all costs because all transformation begins with honesty with ourselves. All transformation needs to happen when we admit that we are sinners, when we admit that we need God's help, when we admit that our current life is not satisfactory. That is why, uh, you know, those addicts, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever addiction support groups, they always begin their meetings with an acknowledgement that they are addicts, that they need help. And so it's important that we don't try to keep on deceiving ourselves. Now, uh, just a quick warning. Uh, if at this very moment, since we're on the subject of hypocrisy, if at this very moment you are thinking of somebody else, you're thinking of another hypocrite, <laughs> I, my warning to you is stop. Stop thinking about that person. Don't focus on the hypocrisy of others because that is precisely Jesus' message to the Pharisees, that you don't focus on the speck on other people's eye, you focus on the plank in your own eye first. Okay? So... Don't think about other hypocrites. <laughs> Just think about your, your, your own behavior. And so friends, are we living a disconnected life? This is just a question, a reflection question for us to consider. If we're honest with ourselves, are we living a disconnected life? Do our actions reflect our faith? Do, does what we do match up with who we think we are? Are the words that we speak always sincere? Or do we only say things so that people will leave us alone or so people will think better about us? Is everything always somebody else's fault? <laughs> Is joy and peace impossible? Is sin ruling over our lives? Those are some fruits that we can examine. How is our prayer life? How is our ministry life? How is our community life? How is our family life? How is our marital relationship with our spouse? All these are fruit. Are we yielding the right kind of fruit? What do all these fruit, what do all these things indicate about the health of our spiritual tree? Now, lastly, to address the fruit, we must tend to the tree. And so we need to prioritize being over doing. In order to tend the tree, we need to prioritize being over doing. My sermon is titled, Be is Greater Than Do. Okay, that's what that crocodile mouth means, la, the arrow. Okay, be is greater than do. Because we tend to focus on doing, right? Uh, a very common saying is we are not human doings, we are human beings, right? That's just a... a uh, something uh, for us to remember. We always focus on doing. The number one question that I get asked as a pastor uh, when I go yam chai people or in church or whatever uh, is, Pastor, Pastor, this one can do or not? This one, should I do or not? Uh, should I stick this? Should I wear that? 
should I practice this? Should uh, my family member be doing this, be doing that? And so it's always very action-focused. It's very works-oriented. Uh, and so this, this is especially because uh, some of us come from the Christian faith from other religions. And most of our Eastern religions are very works-based, very works-focused. Uh, you are judged, your, your religious merit is based on what you do, your actions, rather than inside, right? And so our focus needs to be on shaping who we are, rather than only on how we behave. We need to particularly pinpoint laser focus who we are, what we believe. As mentioned earlier, we can try to modify our behavior. And, and sometimes it, it is important to uh, address the behavior directly, especially, for example, you want to flee from temptation, okay? You don't stand there in the face of temptation and then try and uh, alter your beliefs and all that. You flee from temptation first, right? You act first. Uh, sometimes you need to immediately modify your behavior. But modifying your behavior alone is futile if you don't address the heart. If you neglect the heart, behavior modification does nothing. It will just come back. In other words, we need to tend to the tree first. We need to make sure that we are addressing the tree. Because right behavior will flow out of the overflow of the heart. This passage tells us that uh, we speak, the words that we say comes out of the overflow of the heart. And so, same for actions. What we do flows out of who we are inside. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 tells us, Guard your heart. Out of it flows all the issues of life. That is the, the very principle here. And so to be a person with spiritual integrity, our actions should be spilling over from the overflow of our heart. What is this overflow? Verse 45 talks about good or evil being stored up in the heart. And the Greek word for this stored up describes a, a treasure that is collected over time. Okay, the, the actual word is thesaphros, okay, where we get the word thesaurus, uh, uh, a treasury of words. Okay? And so this this good or evil that is stored up in our hearts is this treasure that is collected over time. And so the question here, in order to address the overflow of your heart, is where does your heart, where does the center of your life, your mind, your will, your emotions, where does your heart get its input from? What do you fill yourself with? What do you fill yourself with? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 20 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It continues, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
In other words, what do you allow yourself to keep looking at? What do you allow yourself to keep looking at and to keep dwelling on? Not just physical eyes, lah, okay, but basically your, your entire heart, your, your, your thought life, your emotional life, your will. What do you allow yourself to dwell on? What occupies the majority of your mental and emotional real estate when you are not tending to something urgent, when somebody has not called for your attention? What do you dwell on the most? What are you thinking about when you zone out during a sermon? <laughs> when the preacher speaks and, you know, uh, uh, my mind drifts. Okay, where is it drifting to? What do you dwell on? Now, this isn't something that happens overnight, okay? It's not something that uh, suddenly one day, oh, my treasure in my, in my heart is a particular thing. No, it accumulates over time. Every time you dwell on a particular thing, every time you decide to dwell on a particular thing and entertain that thing in your mind, over time, it becomes a treasure. It becomes a value. It becomes something stored up in your heart. And then your behavior will be directed by your heart in interest of what has been stored up inside. And so if your, your thoughts are always about vengeance and revenge, how to get back at this person who has hurt you, uh, you store that up in your heart, your behavior will be dictated by what has been stored up inside. Lah. So every time, the moment there is an opportunity, uh, it will flow up from your heart. So one, one very uh, easy test for us to, to know what's in our heart, if there were no, is, is to do this thought exercise, lah. if there were no consequences, if nobody found out, if the police didn't come and catch you, if there were zero consequences for your actions, what would you do? that will tell you the contents of your heart. Now, this isn't just things like materialism or some sinful temptation. The treasure of your heart can be doting on your family. The treasure of your heart can be an obsession with perfection, must do everything properly and correctly. The treasure of your heart can even be a fear of things like coronavirus. Okay, when you dwell on it so much, it affects your behavior and how you live. Our true actions overflow from the treasure stored up in our hearts. So for those who struggle with the fruit of holiness or Christ-like behavior, my question is, how are you tending your tree? How are you addressing the issues of the heart? If you struggle with controlling outbursts of anger, are you allowing God to work on your heart? Rather than just saying, okay, I feel I'm going to get angry, let me just count to 10, uh, lower my blood pressure, remove myself from the situation, all good practical tips. But what else? What else than just the behavior? If you're struggling with anger, are you allowing God to work on the sources of the anger? Possibly pride. Possibly a desire to be in control. Are you allowing God to work on those things? 
Or are you trying to just manage your anger and still be perfectly fine with your pride or your desire to be in control? If you have a battle against lust or pornography, are you looking to God for true intimacy, love, and contentment? Or are you just trying to remove all the factors that will prevent it? Uh, don't forget there is no fruitfulness without Jesus. John 15, 5, uh, if you don't abide in the vine, you can't do anything. There is no true fruitfulness without Jesus. The key to tending our tree above all our convictions and beliefs and understanding is a personal relationship with Jesus as his disciple. We address our thought life, our beliefs, our convictions so that we can have a better relationship with God and Jesus as his disciple. And if we claim to be disciples of Jesus, then the fruit of discipleship is obedience, right? This, the, the, the wise and foolish builders, the fruit of following Jesus is hearing his words, putting it into practice, and obeying. Not just outward obedience, but the inward posture of obedience that overflows into outward obedience, inward obedience, an inward desire to obey. Not because we are compelled, not because we are forced, but because we truly want to obey. So focus on who you are in Christ and what you do for Christ will follow. You focus on who you are in Christ, focus on what you understand what you believe about God and Jesus and His love for you and what you do for Christ will follow. Remember, this is not an either-or situation. I'm not saying that you just do all the studies and do all your quiet times and don't care at all about how you behave and don't care at all about holiness or, or uh, living rightly. Ignoring our behavior indicates that something is wrong in who we are and what we believe. So again, principle of the harvest. You look at the fruit, you see the tree. In conclusion, we do as we are. Sorry, stuck a bit. Never mind, conclusion already. Okay, conclusion. <laughs> know that we do as we are, okay? We, we behave as who we are. Okay, you just pay attention here. Lah. Mm, okay. We do as we are. Doing comes from being. Okay, what we do comes from who we are. Be a spiritually consistent person. Be somebody who is consistent in words, 
actions and also what's inside. Be somebody who is ruthless with their own hypocrisy. Okay, the slightest time that it doesn't match up, be ruthless with it. And do tend to your heart. Tend to the heart. Guard your thought life. Guard what you fill your mind with. Guard what you do during your off time and your free time and your pastime. Now, in this season of Lent, may we reflect on our spiritual fruit. May we examine our life. What is our spiritual fruit? Or do we lack any spiritual fruit? Reflect on that. Allow God to peel back the layers of our hearts. Allow God to help us to look beyond what we merely do or what we merely say. And as we discipline and prune our lives, you know, the Lent season is a season for fasting and discipline, right? As we discipline and prune our lives, may we not stop at outward behavior. Let us discipline and prune our inner life as well. Let us pray.